0: Hi guys, this week on So What Else, we have Rochelle Miller. Um, Hers is a story about a mother who finds herself about 20 weeks pregnant at an ultrasound um, where she is told that her son has probably a 10% chance or less of survival they are then faced with some really hard decisions about if they're going to terminate the pregnancy or not how they're going to move through it. Um, it's an inspiring story. She shares openly and vulnerably about the range of emotions that they experienced during and after and how their faith was tested and where they stand today. So stay tuned. (laughs) Welcome to So What Else?
1: Hi, Caitlin. I'm so happy to be a part of this. I'm so glad to be on with you and talking about everything. This is is so
0: exciting. I love it. I love it. So I just asked you, as soon before we were recording, I was like, where, what state are you in? Because you and your (laughs) husband have been like all over the country. And I'm like, what state are you in? Where, Where are you living?
1: Quite literally all over the country. We made a triangle. Um, so we were both born and raised in Northern Indiana, Amish country, um, RV capital of the world. And then we met in Texas and, uh, doing an internship with the Christian ministry and then, um, got married after we got home, I went to college and then he waited a little bit and that's how we ended up in Florida is he went to film school in Orlando. So that was our first triangle, right? First point of the triangle.
0: Remind me the name of the film school he went to. Full Sail. Okay, that's where my brother-in-law went, the producer of this podcast, (laughs) Matt Carpenter. That is fantastic. And I feel like I knew that because I feel like we maybe had this conversation before because that's, I I felt like we, I feel like I know this answer. Right, like there's a connection here. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. So what did Matt go to school for then? Did he go for like audio engineering? What did he do? Um... Great question. (laughs)
0: Something. (laughs) I think something music related. I have no idea. I literally have no idea. I'm a horrible person.
1: Interesting. Oh no, not at all. I mean, you really only know unless you've like talked about it. You know, a whole bunch. For Danny, it's become. I mean, it's literally his whole life. So he went for film. And Mm -hmm. that just means um, he graduated with a film degree. They do things completely differently, as I'm sure you're well aware at Full Sail. So it's uh, 24 hours a day, seven day a week kind of a school. You're literally in class overnight. Sometimes they're really just trying to get you into the industry and prepare you for all of it. So then you graduate with some really fantastic debt as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yay, student loans. Oh, my gosh. It plays such a big role in everything. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we were in Florida for two and a half years. We were there in Orlando. And that's where I really started my teaching career, um, was in the education world in elementary education, fourth graders. And then, um, after he graduated, it was like, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's happening? And really felt peace about going to LA mm-hmm. because it's like, if you go to LA first in film, then you can go wherever after that. So, yeah. I'm sure everybody else in the family, I mean, he's got four sisters. I've got two brothers and our parents were probably like, "Mm, maybe not, but we were like, nope, this is happening. Yes. So um, off to LA, we went, that's where we met you guys. That's where we met you and Scott, Um, got to participate in Josh and Chelsea's wedding, which was amazing and fabulous. I mean, that was the best trip across the country. So that was a lot of fun. We were pulling a teeny tiny... No, it wasn't teeny tiny. We were pulling a U-Haul box yeah. with our teeny tiny Honda Civic. <laughs> so
0: yeah. Hey, when we moved from Colorado to here, we literally had Scott's pickup truck with like the the smallest trailer you can rent from a U-Haul. Exactly. Like that was it. Like that was all yeah. of our stuff.
1: Yep. No, absolutely. We did the exact same thing. Oh. I remember parking it outside of Scott's house in Colorado so that oh we could drive
0: gosh. around with the car. That's amazing. I love that. Oh. oh my
1: gosh. It was so funny. So, yeah, So then we were in LA for five and a half years. And um, after the story that we're going to tell, then that was where, And I mean, we always knew LA was going to be like five to 10 years and it ended up being like right on the dot five and a half. Yeah. Um, and then back home to Indiana, we came and yeah. it's been kind of a crazy transition. But I mean, for me being outside of Indiana has mm-hmm. felt much more like home being okay. in Indiana. okay. And there's this funny thing. I mean, it was the same way when we met in Texas doing the internship where I felt like I could be more myself mm-hmm. away from everything that I had grown up in. And yeah. then coming back to what I had grown up and I was like, I just don't fit. Um, yeah. So it's been a lot of like waiting a lot of like figuring things out. And then like I said, just since in May of this year, um, we were like gung ho. I had finally talked Danny into moving out of the state. We were gung ho. I was applying to jobs in Virginia. We were we were going to move mm. to the East Coast. And the Lord was like, "So, are you sure that you need to move?" And I was like, "What do you mean? Are you, are you sure that we're not supposed to move?" So it took about a week to process through that and be like, "Nope, done and done. We're we need to stay." And within six weeks, I had a new job and we had a house and just wow. Parking. Oh, so it has been nice. a whirlwind of, uh, of like a summer. I mean, we've been in our home now for three months, but yeah, yeah it still is like, whoa, that Ugh. was a lot.
0: So it's so crazy because, you know, this conversation, unfortunately, is going to kind of center around the, this idea of grief. And it's yeah. funny because, well, it's not funny, but you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> The I'm last so time I was with you, like I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the last time I was with you, oh my gosh. and when I met you, was at the right. weekend where our friend Sago died, and we were at his funeral. Yeah. And so that was, so for people who are like, what are you talking about? Episode 14, I interviewed um, my dear friend, Chelsea Groshans, oh. who used to be Chelsea Segoviano when she was married to Josh Segoviano. And in that episode, we talked about how Scott and Josh were roommates and blah, 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 you know, all these things. And, and their, their crazy relationship. Their <laughs> ridiculous codependent relationship. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm not surprised by that at all. That uh, that just seems to go right in line with everything that I've heard. So
0: that makes uh, a lot of sense. So I met you guys at
1: the funeral, yeah.
0: which yeah. is like crazy to say that. But we spent this like weekend together because it was yeah. like this crazy weekend where like all these friends were flying in. And like a lot of friends ended up staying with Scott's sister and Scott was doing airport runs and things like that. And it was just like this crazy chaotic. But awful wonderful right like you know we were together for like I want to say like three days like all day every day just at like a dinner at Chelsea's house and then at the funeral and then at a lunch and that like it was a whole thing and it was this very 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 intense grief situation it was the most intense thing I had ever like been up close to and ever been through, you know what I mean, the death yeah. of someone that close to us. Um because this was prior to like my brother passing away and things like that. So like it was hard. It was horrible, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um and it still is, you know, thinking about Sego today. It's still hard. Um and so you guys had flown in, right, from LA. Yeah. And you and Danny got married in 2013, right? Oh no, two thousand and four. Two thousand four. What am
1: I saying? What am I saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You're, you're holding on to that twenty thirteen I got married that. in well, twenty thirteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you did not get you got married. You did not get married in twenty thirteen. Yeah, uh yeah, no,
0: I did. No, no, I'm like, wait. No, I did. Twenty thirteen, right? Oh, holy
1: cow, that's crazy.
0: I hope that's right. Scott, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This horrible and hilarious. This oh, makes me laugh a lot. Okay. Do you know how many years you've been married? Is Eight that the years. Way
0: to go? Right. And what year is this? 2021? Well then, yeah, that's is 2021, that right? Yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Then you're,
1: <laughs> you're spot on. Good job.
0: <laughs> so you guys got married in 2004.
1: Oh <laughs> my four. gosh. Marriage. We were babies. Oh yes. my gosh.
0: All right. So married in 2004 and then yes. in 2013. Yeah. so That's when you guys decided, okay, let's start a family.
1: Not, I mean, so here's the thing, right? So we were in Indiana for two and a half years before, so we got married, we were in Indiana for two and a half years before we left um, Orlando. And when we got married <laughs> that summer at our church, 10 other, nine other couples got married at our church. Oh, so it was wow. like the summer of love. Yeah, totally, um, totally, And we were, you know, the small groups that we were in, everybody was starting to have babies, starting to talk about having kids, you know, and I was always like, in two or three years, in two or three years, you know, yeah, and then yeah. we go, he's in film school and I'm like, eh, two or three years, two or three years, just kept pushing out the whole child thing in two or three years. And I was not that girl who just thought that I was always going to be a, a mom. Like it just was like, oh, that's the natural next step. Mm-hmm. So we get to LA and I was like, okay, listen, as long as I'm pregnant by the time I'm 30. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> then we start mm-hmm. counting down because yep. then we're there. And we're waiting and we're there and we're waiting and we're there and we're waiting. And it's like, well, is this going to happen? What's going to happen? So it would have been, let's see. So my birthday was in, I turned 30 in 2011. So it would have been like probably 2011, 2012, where we're like, let's start thinking seriously about this. What would it take for this to happen? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, shoot, we were in LA. I mean, I look back on it now and I loved it, but. We lived with roommates. So as a married couple, we had roommates for the first four years. And it's kind of amazing, but it's also, you know, completely different than what you expect marriage to be like. Totally. So that's where it was kind of like, what's it going to look like? How's this going to work? Are we going to be able to make it? You know, in LA, you make too much money to be on welfare, but not quite enough to feel really comfortable, especially when you have a mortgage payment without owning a home.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: So because of all of that, yeah, it was just like, it was all this thing, you know, and it was a lot of like faith build up to be like, okay, we're just going to like, we're going to jump on the string. We're going to try it out.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So, I mean, honestly, you can hear again, like the lead up, like the Lord is just so funny in the way that he works. Um, So we're talking about this. We changed apartments. I mean, we had four different apartments. Yeah. Apartments in LA moved like every year. or So, Um, so we're talking about this. We get into a new apartment. And the fall of 2012, I had a friend who was working at a nonprofit called Johnny and Friends out mm-hmm. in California. And she, everybody kind of knew I was keeping my eye out for a new job because mm-hmm. I was teaching, but I was working for a third party company.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I didn't have benefits, didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need something better, right? So I need something. So fall of 2012, I get hired on at Johnny and friends and it was the most money I'd ever made. It had benefits. I, I mean, they were amazing benefits and it was with a disability ministry and yeah. it was right around that time that it was like, okay, we're, we're going to go for it. We're going to jump off this defense. Yeah. Um, so that was fall and it took about six months to get pregnant. Okay. And so that's when the whole thing, you know, kind of started, but I mean, even just leading into all of that. And I mean, we, we actually ended up spending, so we had our dog, we had oh. bought, gotten him in, Florida. And then he was in LA with us and we actually ended up sending him home. He came back to Indiana to stay with my little brother for a while. Cause he was getting so anxious about being in LA and like not having us around. Mm. Um, so we like let him go in March. And at that point, that was probably about the hardest thing that I had ever done in my life mm. because Sending your dearly beloved little puppy man onto a plane in a container all by himself. Oh yeah, cuddling in the corner oh. of this big crate. Oh, it was horrendous. I cried all the way home from LAX. So yeah, um, doing all that and then kind of just keeping an eye on it and just being like, I mean, we're we're not in a hurry, you know. Mm-hmm. If it happens, it happens. We were already having that conversation of like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We had one or two couples in our small group that were having kids. So it was like, okay, everybody's kind of catching up to us a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, at that point, we're in our early 30s, so we're still very much the old married couple. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, just kind of playing it out and letting it happen. And then, what was it, early April, I actually found out I was pregnant right before leaving the state for a work trip. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> I nuts. mean, like, the week of. And so I... Was, you know, and so then I'm like traveling and I'm like, oh, this is not a whole lot of fun. And, but yeah, so we were, we were super excited. Mm. We were so just thrilled to like be officially on that journey. Yeah. Um, But yeah, and then it just is a crazy journey.
0: So then you went to your first ultrasound, which is probably like, you were probably like, what, eight-ish weeks along? (laughs) Usually they won't see you.
1: I mean, I thought because of how my cycle was playing out, yeah. I was like, I I'm really not sure. And so when yeah. they first were checking, um they thought I was well, no, or I, I thought I was nine weeks. And they're okay. like, yeah, no, you're not that far along. So I was only like six weeks along, which was okay. crazy. But it still had like the Doppler or the internal ultrasound and yeah, all yeah. of that. Heart rate was strong, everything was great, everything was fine, totally normal. Um, so yeah, like April till like the end of June, I mean, life was good. We were thrilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, things were looking great. We were trying to figure out what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm having conversations with my like VP and being like, what, how do you, yeah. how do you survive with a kid? And he's right. like, here's the thing. Fantastic man. Love him. And he was just like, God always blesses. Babies. He's like, God mm-hmm. takes care of families. And I just, I like that resonated with me and just it was such a truth that I was just going to hold on to, you know, like God was going to take care of us because God believes in families, right? Like God creates families. So he's all for them. So if you start having kids, increase is coming. You will be okay. He will sustain you. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. And then it was the 20 week ultrasound. So that was like, I think it was actually technically 19 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um we went in for like the well baby visit. You yeah. know, and everything leading up to that point was great. Yeah. Nothing abnormal, whatever. So you can kind of tell you know there's a lead up here. Um mm. so we go into that and I think it was on like a Friday afternoon. And so they're doing the ultrasound and the tech is like <laughs> do you need, do you need to go to the bathroom? And I was like, sure. <laughs> they're like, there, we, there's too much stuff going on in there. I'm going to need you to empty out. Okay. Fine. So I come back, you know, we get started all over again. So we're working, they're working on the stuff and I can't remember. I think it was a woman I can't even remember now, but it was like a very large room. I don't know mm-hmm. if your ultrasounds were like this, but this ultrasound was so big. Mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like I'm in the corner of this like huge space. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, Why? So I wasn't watching the screen at all. I think Danny was watching the screen and there's no conversation whatsoever, mm. like none. And I was like, this seems a little odd, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah. So we get, you know, it probably takes like, I don't know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes or so. And we get done and the ultrasound tech goes, well, they're probably going to want to see you back like pretty soon. And That's i it? Went, yeah. And I Oof. said, is everything Okay. And the tech goes, I'm just a tech. I'm, I'm not allowed to say anything or something along those lines. And I went, okay. You know, I'm like, here's your pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good day. Right. All right. Yeah. Why did you just kill my night? Like, yeah. Yeah. So we had such a funky weekend of just being like, I mean, what do we, what do, we do with that? What could they mean by that? So yeah. I go to work Monday morning and. The team that I was on, one of the ladies was like a jack-of-all-trades, had like Mm -hmm. done all the things and one of her positions had actually been to be an ultrasound tech. And so I was like, well, fantastic. So she takes my pictures and, you know, I'm telling them how it went and she takes my pictures and she's looking at it. She goes, oh, she goes, your placenta is probably just upside down or in the way or in the back or whatever. It's probably just, you're going to be fine. Like it's really, it's probably not going to be a big deal at all. You know, they're just going to call you back. They're just going to want to try and resituate. Okay. Okay. So I'm feeling pretty good. And then that afternoon, that was a Monday afternoon, probably about two or three o'clock, I get a call from the genetic counselor at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Hey, we want to see you. We want to, you know, we want to do another test. We want to come back in. Okay. And I actually thinking back on that now, I cannot actually remember how that conversation went. Mm -hmm but I think I was a little surprised, like tonight counselor, like what's going on. I feel like she probably told me that there were some abnormalities that they wanted to take a second check at, Mm -hmm. but I can't honestly tell you Mm -hmm. if that's the case. So that was Monday. So we got scheduled out for a Friday appointment. Okay, Mm -hmm. perfect. So we go in Friday, um, with the neonatologist Mm -hmm. and this room, I mean, is like tiny, right? Mm. Like, This is somebody's office. This is like, you barely have space for like your chair in there or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so at that point is when they shared with us what they were finding. Mm -hmm. So the things that they found with our son and we knew officially like the week prior that he was officially a boy. Mm -hmm. He spread eagle for us, which was so kind of him. (laughs) Um, But it was so great because random interlude, but um, Danny had actually dreamed his name a Aww. few weeks before the ultrasound. And so we were trying to be good parents and, you know, think about a male and a female name, but yeah. um, Danny dreamed Jonathan Alexander. Aww. And so then Aww. we so just had really felt consummation. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It just really came together. So, um, so with Jonathan, what they found was that he had an omphalocele, which is where your belly button doesn't, when the belly, sorry, when the umbilical cord connects to the belly button and everything it doesn't shape correctly around it, and so he ended up he had a sac growing right next to his belly button where his organs were actually moving into the sac, so they were moving into like an external portion of his body okay um and then that was the biggest one. Then he had a double cleft palate,
2: mm. so
1: not just you know like the actual palate on the inside, not just the lip um. And they had a hole in his heart mm. and because he, um, he was holding his fists the whole time that he was in the ultrasound. So, you know, they'd move and move and move and he'd move, but he was always fist clenched fists. Mm. And apparently that is um, one, it's a symptom of his diagnosis, but two, then um, another thing is that they were saying he would also have severe mental disabilities
2: mm. with everything
1: going on. And it was like, I mean, that's just a shock to the system, you know? I mean, you're sitting there and you're being told. And I was like, okay. And I, I'm i a slow processor. Yeah. And I'm also, I mean, at that point in my life, like joy is my natural emotion. Yeah. I struggle with negative emotions. I struggle with anger. I used to tell people I could probably count on my hand the number of times I've been angry in my life. Oh, man. Um And like in sadness, you know, fairly normal, but not something, not a place where anybody really wants to live. Right. I mean, even, gosh, when I think about like, you think about Sego's, you know, Memorial weekend and you have a lot of grief and sadness around it. And I think about that weekend and I think about how amazing it was Mm. to like meet you guys and to be surrounded by all these people who love Josh and we're celebrating his life together. So like, that's my take on life. Right. Yeah. Joy. And so here I'm being set, I'm being told that my son has a lot of things going on. And I'm like, okay. And you know, at this point in time, too, you have to remember I've been working at a disability ministry for nine months. Yes. And so I'm hearing all these stories about people surviving or having miraculous, crazy things, amazing things happen, or, you know, just being able to like live with a child with a disability. So I'm going, okay, okay you know, like going to just like go mode, like what yes. are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? Right. So I'm asking, I start asking questions if we're sitting in that office and I'm sure Danny, I don't even know. Now I'd have to go back and ask him and be like, how are you feeling right, if I'm right. asking these questions? Like, are you okay? Um, so I'm asking, you know, like, what does this mean? Um, what does this look like? Where, where do we go from here? And they gave us a chance of survival, either in or out of the womb. So at that point we're right at like 20 weeks or right ahead of 20 weeks. And they told us that, and that was like, again, another shock to the system of just going, I've got this little man growing inside of me and you're telling me that he's not, (laughs) that he's got a very low chance of making it into this life. Um, You know, and I'm kind of starting to ask the questions of like, what can we do? And there wasn't a lot of response on the what can we do questions, which is rough to say the least. Um but then it's also, you know, they go straight into so it's so interesting to me now because every state has different laws about when you can terminate and how long into your pregnancy you can terminate. So with California, we were told at that point, okay, you know, and we're like, what are our options like how can we fix this? How can we make it better? How do we survive through this? You know, whatever. So it was, you can terminate or you can wait it out. And so it's like, but if you terminate, you only have a couple of weeks left kind of deal to make that decision. In your window, okay. Exactly, exactly. So it was like, holy cow. So at that point, like neither one of us were crying. We're just taking it all in, probably like wide-eyed. So we walk, you know, we get done with the conversation. We walk out to the car. And that's when we both just lost it.
2: Of course. Yeah. And
1: we're just sitting in the car and like sobbing and just going, why? What? Yeah. How? Mm-hmm. What do we do? Um, so that was like mid, no, not mid, early, early July or late June. And we decided, again, doesn't matter. We're going to make it happen. We got on a plane that night, took a red eye. Um, didn't tell our families what was going on. We were just like, we're coming home. We need to tell you all what's like, we need to have a conversation. Mm. So we got in Saturday morning real early. We met with both of our families that weekend. And I think, I think we came back Monday. I don't remember, but like real rough conversations. And here again, because of like, I'm processing, but my processing looks like taking action. My processing looks like, how do we fix it?
2: Mm-hmm. How do we make
1: it better? You know, how yeah. do we get through this? So one of the things my dad actually said to me later, he was like, so how long had you known? Like when you told us, how long had you known?
2: Mm.
1: And I was like, I mean, 24 hours? Like we yeah. just found out like two days before we told you. He was like, holy cow. Yeah, He goes, because the way that you told us was so emotionless. Mm. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I
0: know. Like that's, it's a problem. Do you think you were just like in shock? And just hadn't you couldn't like emote?
1: Yes, absolutely. And that's where I mean, like I said, so being a slow processor is part of that. Yeah, Um, going into go mode and just like I'll deal with emotions later, right? I'll I'll figure that out later. Right now, I have to like, how do I handle this? How do I live? How do I survive? How do I take care of my son? Yeah, you know, what do we? I'm, I'm more of a let me take action. Let me do. Totally. And then I'll figure out how I feel. <laughs> and then what on. about Danny? He's not that way. No, not at all. I mean, we're telling our families, we're telling our parents, you know, and he's crying with them. And I'm kind of sitting there just stoic. And mm-hmm. here we had this option that we had to decide. Yeah. Are we going to keep our child or are we going to terminate? Yeah. And it was like, you know, you as a Christian growing up in like a conservative home. Yeah. Abortion is just a thing, right? That is absolute. It's black mm-hmm. and white. There's yeah. no question. It's a never. Mm-hmm. And I recognize a lot of people would think about this as not an abortion, right? Because right. they'll go, well, but it's different. Right. <laughs> well, I see that. But to be put in that kind of a situation where I actually had to make a decision yeah, with that kind of a thought in mind where like I'm literally taking a life yeah I couldn't do it yeah and I told Danny that and I was like I I can't cut this cord per se when I know his heart is beating yeah when I know that he's still alive Mm -hmm. when I know that there's a chance I know it's a very very small chance but when I know that there's a chance because honestly and I I don't see my husband as any less than for this but he actually would have rather have terminated the pregnancy Mm -hmm. and start over kind of for him the concept of like rip the band-aid off yeah let's this one sucks and that sucks like the whole situation is horrible but let's rip the band-aid off and let's start over fresh you know let's try again and I was just like I can't right I, I I have there's a child living inside of me and yeah. so, you know, he, um, he compromised as the wife and as the mother who's holding the baby, carrying the baby, yeah. there's really not much that you can do in that space, but. Did and you I, feel I that think...
0: the doctors, were they encouraging you to terminate or were they just like literally whatever you want to do? Like you make your, your decision.
1: If I think about it, I, I see the bias for sure okay. of leaning towards that way. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, and at at that point we had not yet had the conversation where they would literally call him incompatible with life. Mm. That is the worst phrase. I mean, absolutely the worst phrase. And I know, I know so many other moms who have heard that phrase and it is horrible. Mm. I mean, to know, like, again, it's a child. This is a yeah. human life. This is mm-hmm. a human being. This is not just like cells in the body that are forming. No, like they're living and breathing. Yeah. They may not be in the outside world yet, but yeah, incompatible with life is, I hate that phrase, like despise mm-hmm. it with a passion. Um. So that came later, but the doctor at that point, you know, we hadn't had that conversation. So we like made that decision. We weren't going to terminate. And then it was going back, telling them we made that decision. And then- trying to figure out, okay, what are our next steps? So from there, we decided to go ahead and get an amniocentesis done Mm -hmm. because that would define what was actually the diagnosis. So when they gave us all the symptoms, they said he either has trisomy 18 or trisomy 15. The symptoms are very, very similar, but the only way to really know is to get an amniocentesis done. So we did the amniocentesis. Um, We did some very basic genetic counseling, just like, preliminary genetic counseling to be like okay what you know is this something that's like part of the family is this something right. that you know is there something hiding in there um and truly we the answer was we couldn't find anything
2: mm-hmm.
1: um we did find that there were there's some um, some abnormalities in Danny's family but they're like cousins right there's right. nothing immediate in his siblings he has one nephew who has autism, but he's like high functioning. So Mm. like nothing crazy genetically, that would be like, oh, that's the thing. Totally. And so they did tell us that, you know, in the future, if you would try again for another child, that it's like a, what is it? 10% chance for anybody to, for any child to be born with a disability or to have some kind of, you know, genetic abnormality. Mm-hmm. Um, and our chance was like even lower than that to have it like happen again, kind of a deal. So it was like, right. okay, well, good. Should, right. well, what do we do here again? Like, what do we what do with we do this, this time? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So we went through the amniocentesis, found out he did officially have trisomy 18. Um, so I always tell people, I always introduce it as, you know, trisomy 21 because people don't think of trisomy. That's not like a normal word. Right. So trisomy 21 is down to the drum. Right. And so, trisomy eighteen is just—it's—it's it's just one of those that is less. But gosh, when we started researching and looking it up, it's one in a thousand babies have trisomy eighteen. <sighs> so that's so much more than what you would have thought of, right? And so much more than just like this is not—not not quite a fluke, but yeah, kind of crazy. So, gosh, those weeks were just so intense. Of here we are, we're living with a roommate. So our lease is coming up in August,
2: mm.
1: late August, I think. So we're trying to figure out what are we doing? Are we having a baby? Or are we not having a baby? Is he going to make it out? Yeah. And then we have to figure out, are we keeping our lease and keeping this whole roommate situation? Are we going to like have faith and jump into our own space? Because we need space if we're going to have a baby. Yeah. And then what if he doesn't arrive? And how do you, what? Like, yeah. Yeah. So you're trying to you, make decisions
0: for your future yeah. and it's you're trying to straddle this line of like, let's have like radical faith and believe that even though his chances are very, very small, let's have this radical faith that like God's going to work a miracle and heal right. Jonathan and we're going to have him. And so like, let's move forward in that faith. And at the same time, right. trying to be like realistic right. and, and it's yeah. like faith, like, isn't really realistic. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, so how do you, how do you hold both of those things?
1: You know, you really, I mean, you don't, you like, you really kind of live in one world or the other. There's just not a balance. It really is. You, you're kind of, you have to be kind of all in or not. Yeah. And I think honestly, we were probably on opposite sides of the spectrum. Mm. Like, again, because like the year before had been an intense year for me with the Lord of figuring out my identity in Christ. I had done like this probably six months of my life. I'd spent digging into just identity verses and just finding this new confidence and amazing reality of who God thought I was and who Mm -hmm. he said it, not just thought I was, but who he said I was. Yeah, And to have that and to just be like, I have so much confidence in who God is. Mm -hmm. And not just who he is, but who he says that I am Mm -hmm. and what his word says that like, I'm going to believe that he's going to do this. I'm Mm going to believe for complete healing. The fight is so mental and so emotional. And so you've got to have the right people in your corner.
2: Mm, and to have
1: my husband and I be, you know, not quite on the same page as far as what we were fighting for. And there again, you look at where we even started from, you know, I, here I was going all mama bear and being like, I can't, I can't terminate this life. And him being like, I love my son, but I don't want to go through this. Yeah. You know, and I don't discount that one bit, but just to recognize we were two different, we were in two different places from the get go. And so to then just be like walking that out, you know,
0: that's really hard on your marriage.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, it didn't feel horrible because, you know, we've got this crazy thing bonding us at that point, True, but it did get to the point where it was kind of amazing the way the last couple of weeks played out. We went in, um, we were trying to talk about like, what's next, how is this going to kind of end? We were getting into like that, that third trimester and just being like, I don't know, we were probably at like the 25 week and we were starting to have some of those conversations about like, do we take parenting classes? Do we take, you know, what else, like how much, again, how much do we plan for? How much do we not? And also then thinking about, well, what if, and can we have surgery? Are, is surgery, an right. option? you yeah. know, is there, are there any options here? And that's where we were really starting to kind of butt heads. Um, and so we actually, we went in, I think on a Wednesday. And at that point I would have been like 26 weeks. And the neonatologist <laughs> that was when i think she told me that he was incompatible with life
2: mm. and
1: or i oh no this is what it was i started asking the question because i was like i just need to know yeah why are we not even talking about a c section why are we not even talking about operations like he i've heard of other babies being born early who survive yeah. i've heard of other babies being born with some of these things and i know there's operations that you can do these things on So I'm asking these questions and her response to me was something to the extent of, I don't know why you're even asking me these questions when he's not going to survive, basically. And it was like, (laughs) I was done. I was like, okay, I need to leave the room now. You know, I was just like, this is my son you're talking about. I need you to talk about him like he exists because he does exist.
2: Yeah.
1: That was, that was. The hardest one, uh, probably, where I just I didn't feel any support from this neonatologist. For her, he was incompatible with life. Yeah, so my life was more important. We shouldn't be talking about any kind of operation, surgery, um, procedure that would endanger me in any way
2: because mm-hmm.
1: it, he didn't matter. And I was just like, "You've got to be <sighs> kidding me, right now!" Yeah, like if I would have thought about it in those moments, I definitely would have put a complaint in. But yeah. That was rough. Mm, that's, so I'm that was so that conversation. And, but in the same conversation, we're also told that, Hey, by the way, your surface is turn- rotating.
2: Oh, okay. Oh,
1: and I was like, what? And, you know, here again, I haven't taken any other baby classes. This is baby number one. I haven't yeah. done anything. What's, what's happening. Yeah. And so we had that conversation and we're like, well, ultimately your body is preparing. And they told me too, at that point that Oh, one of the other symptoms is that he didn't process water well. So I was carrying a lot of extra amniotic fluid. Okay. So just looking very, very large at like 26 weeks. And so they, um, Danny and I start having these conversations about like, you know, what about surgery? What about putting him on a ventilator, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And they got us in, trying to remember like the timeline here, but we ended up, I mean, (laughs) I'm also not a yeller and that was probably the one time that I like raised my voice at my husband and our roommate at the time who is an incredible human being that we both love dearly was like that was I think the first time I'd ever heard you guys fight Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah because we just were not on that same path about what we thought we wanted for our son yeah and um so we actually ended up like having one of the pastors from the church come out Friday morning to meet with us
2: Mm-hmm. I think
1: I went to work and came home from work and met with the pastor, um, and really just realized like we wanted the same thing
2: mm-hmm. was
1: just to be with our son for as long as we had him. Yeah. But for Danny, the thought of having our son come out and then be immediately whisked away, or yeah. and or immediately connected to machines, yeah, and or have you know all these wires keeping him alive, he's like that's. That's not what I want my memory of my son to be like, yeah, and I was like, okay i I can get on that train. like yeah. I can absolutely get on that line of thinking, yeah, so that was really what we got out of our time with our pastor at that point was just like we can connect on just wanting to spend time with our son, no matter yeah. what that looks like, and just letting him go when the time is right, basically, yeah, so. We had that conversation Friday morning. And then Friday afternoon, they were actually, they being the hospital, were able to get us in with the pediatric geneticist. Okay. Who they'd been talking about connecting us with, but they were kind of, I think, pushing it off. And then it was like, okay, we got to do this now because we don't know how much longer we have. And the conversation with him, if I hadn't totally made the change in my faith and in my thinking and in my mindset, the conversation with him was absolutely like the rock that did mm. it, right? Like that's the line in the sand that I can, I know for sure I can point to. Um, but he actually answered my questions in a way that made sense. Okay. So he took down, he broke all of the things that Jonathan had going on, all of his symptoms, all of his problems that were in his body. He broke them all down one by one. Okay. So he broke down, okay, so... One, right now you're 26 weeks, so you're early, right? So he's a preemie, so he's tiny. So, and, you know, the way he's measuring, like that's going to be really hard for any kind of man hands to have, to be like operating on your son. Okay, Uh good to know. Um, Two, at a preemie, then you also have potentially, you know, not fully developed lungs. So that's Mm -hmm. something else you have to take into consideration then if you're thinking of any kind of surgery. Three, so then you've got these two things that you're already dealing with, man hands on a teeny tiny baby, and then you've got an omphalocele. seal. He goes, that's going to have to be operated on like immediately between that and the hole in his heart. That's going to be immediate stuff. And he goes, if it was just one of these things, he right. goes, you know, and then your double cleft palate, you know, you can wait till later on that. But like, you're going to have surgery after surgery, after surgery, you're going to need immediate support for his life in order to sustain him. Mm. And so it was just having all that. And so he's like, you know, for one of those things, yes, we could do it. And we could definitely have a conversation. But when you combine all those things, he goes, you would be hard-pressed to find a surgeon in LA County, which is, you know, one of the biggest counties in the country that would do it. He goes, there's people who will look outside of the county. And I'm a little surprised now when I think about it still to be like, really? And only because I've had a dear friend, a dear friend of mine is going through, um, She's pregnant and her daughter ha- her diaphragm didn't fully develop. Mm-hmm. And so she's in a somewhat of a similar situation of like fighting for her daughter's life, mm. but she's actually finding specialists. And I'm mm. just going, I wonder, man, like eight years ago, would mm. it have been a different story if I could have found a specialist who would have mm. taken Jonathan's case? But I don't know. And, you know, I can't, I can't go backwards. And I don't really believe in regret. It's not something that I land on. So I just kind of, Let it go and keep going. So with all of that, the pediatric geneticist, honestly, I was able to kind of let go of -hmm. any hope that I had of helping Jonathan anymore and just letting his life be whatever it was going to be Okay. and letting him just exist in the way that he was going to exist. And then the genetic counselor was in that meeting with us and she goes, so um, what will you do if this happens? And she used some medical term, and I went, what what do you mean? Like can yeah. you explain that to me in layman's terms? And whatever the medical term was that she used was basically, what will happen? What are you going to do if you, um, if he flatlines during labor? And I was like,
0: what? so she was basically asking if you guys wanted to sign like a DNR for your unborn
1: child, kind of. I actually don't even know. I'm not mm. sure if she was asking for the sake of just like helping us to think through
2: mm.
1: things that could happen. Okay, um, because we've been talking about like, okay, we'll just hold him. Like when he arrives, we'll just hold yeah. him, and, and then we'll say goodbye to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so her saying that was like, like he might not even make it out because at that point he was still very much alive, heart still kicking. I mean, mm-hmm. as healthy as he could be inside, right? So. I was like, I'd never had that thought. I, I mean, who knew that was an option? Like, mm-hmm. I'm really, really glad she said it though because on the way home then we had that conversation of, I don't want to know. Like if we lose him in labor, I don't want to know. I can't imagine knowing. That would be horrible because mm-hmm. whatever labor looks like and however long labor goes, I don't want to have to know that he's gone and go through whatever pain is left Yeah. for like no I- reason at all. Mm-hmm. so that was Friday yeah and I finally wake up Danny and I'm like oh, I'm just really uncomfortable like and then we started timing the contractions and we're like oh yeah they're like a minute and a half apart okay mm. time to go let's go head back in all right so this time I think we packed a few things maybe through some things here again I mean not ready at all but we throw some things together get back out I think we got into the hospital around five and at that point that was such an uncomfortable car ride because now I'm full on in labor right like now these contractions hurt and it's uncomfortable and it's not fun and they're coming pretty fast so had no idea for you listeners fyi if you aren't pregnant yet and you expect to be in the future puking comes Mm. with the territory yes and diarrhea and or pooping your pants comes with the territory Uh. I didn't have the second one but I got up out of the car Danny drops me off at like the front and like, as soon as I stood up, I like puked just I was all puking too. over the sidewalk. And I
0: was
2: like, what is
0: this?
1: Yeah. I was
0: like completely <laughs> thrown off by it. Like I was yeah, like, no. nobody warned me about the puking. Right?
1: Like this yeah. is why? What is Not happening? Happy. Am I dying yeah. right now? Yeah. Oh, and I think Danny's like driving away. And I think seeing it happen, he's Uh-oh. like, was kind of freaking out and be like, <laughs> yeah well and yeah. i think there were also some like orderlies or whatever close to the door of the uh, hospital it's just like standing there watching me just you know puke just fine sure
0: yeah here's this pregnant <laughs> lady clearly yeah. in distress
1: uh, right exactly like, just stand there it'll be great fine. she'll figure it out it'll yeah so we get inside they get me in the wheelchair we get up to labor and delivery they uh i go to stand up to like get changed and my water broke
2: Mm. I mean, and
1: I literally just like leaned over the bed because I was like, "What is happening right now?" Mm. You know, Danny's like, "You were so embarrassed." I was like, "No, no, not embarrassed. Really, just like, what is happening yeah. to my life yes. right now? Like, I'm so done. I, I hurt. I've now I've like peed my pants. I'm yeah. wet. What is happening? Yeah. Like, just, you know, whatever. So we get me all decked out, changed out, and then. Went straight for the upper dural. By the time they checked me, I was at seven centimeters. Oh, whoa. So within, what, the last check was around midnight, 11 o'clock, and then like five o'clock in the morning. So within like five or six hours, mm-hmm. I was like fully, you know, ready to go. And we knew, I mean, at that point, gosh, I was not quite 27 weeks or like mm-hmm. right there on the cuff. So they're pumping me full of all sorts of fluids. I've got an mm-hmm. epidural going. I'm still feeling it. So they had told me, like, go ahead, just like keep increasing the amount of epidural fluid, like epidural that you're giving yourself. And I was mm. like, sweet, pump that guy right yes. on up. Yes. The they button. gave me yeah. right, exactly. They gave me some morphine. That didn't touch that labor pain whatsoever. Uh. I was like, nope, I'm gonna need something like please do whatever you need to do to make this easier. Um, so they they went to put, you know, his monitor on him and I was like, don't do it. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, but before they did that, I think the last time they checked him, still heart was beating just fine. You know, when we had him checked earlier in the evening, he was still still doing good. So Mm -hmm. kind of the expectation is that he would come out Mm -hmm. um and we'd at least kind of get to hold him or whatever and just kind of go from there and see what happened. And within two hours. Um, seven o'clock is when I actually like gave birth mm-hmm. and he came out and the doctors and nurses came in and he wasn't breathing. So they cleaned him up. We shared our, you know, our hopes with them and our nurses were amazing. One of our nurses had also lost, I think, a child to trisomy 18. Oh, so wow. it was like how, I mean, just so amazing that the Lord kind of connect the details. Um, So, and I was just so thankful to have a supportive staff while he was passing compared to the kind of, you know, support, the lack thereof that we were getting up until that point. So he passed away right around seven o'clock. That was when, you know, he came into the world and went straight from the best place on earth to the best place in heaven. Mm. And they cleaned him up and they handed him off to us, laid him on my chest and then just let us be. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that was shortly after seven, Danny had called all of our family. I mean, we're out in LA. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: my older brother got a plane, got on a plane as fast as he could. And he still didn't get to LA until I think probably seven o'clock that night. Mm -hmm. So this was seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, But we had a handful of friends from like our community group from church actually come to the hospital, Mm -hmm. actually come into our room and hold him Mm -hmm. and meet him, which is amazingly precious to me because that's not an experience that any of our family members got to have. Right. Um, and we just got to hold him for like five hours and they were like, there is no rush, no rush yeah. whatsoever. So we just held him and we loved him and said goodbye and sang to him and had people meet him and tell us how beautiful he was. How were you emotionally
0: during those five hours? Like what, what did that feel like? I mean,
1: that's the crazy part to me is I felt like a mom. Yeah, I felt so much joy mm. in that he was here, even yeah. though he wasn't there. He was there. Yeah, and so it's just kind of crazy to me to think about. I had the all the like dopamine that comes from giving birth, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so thankful and so happy, and so he was with us, and that was what mattered. And he was with us in a way that we had agreed upon and, you know, we had created this human being and I was so thankful for who he was Mm
2: -hmm. because there
1: was, there's so much about him. I mean, he had my head full of hair Mm -hmm. and he had Danny's feet Mm -hmm. and he had like our faces. I mean, he already looked like us. He was 12 inches long, Mm -hmm. a pound and a half. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, he was beautiful. And, our roommate, the one that we were living with right up until that point um, said something so beautiful. And he said, you know, he, he could see, he was looking at Jonathan the way that God looks at us
2: Mm. completely
1: flawless. He's made completely perfectly in his image. Right. And just Jonathan is who he is. There's Mm. nothing wrong with him. And that was just so amazing to me that he got to meet him and just felt like that about him. And just, you know, it was like Jonathan just affected so many people's lives. So mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff. Like, it's kind of crazy to me to recognize that in, in the hospital room, you know, as I'm going through labor, like labor is labor. I mean, it just is what it is. There's just no, like, there's no joy in labor. I was freezing because of all the liquids that they're pumping me full of. But like when he arrived and it was just the two of us or our friends were coming in and out, like, There was so much peace
0: in that moment. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say, it sounds like you had a lot of peace. Yeah. Which is incredible. It's unbelievable, really. I mean... Absolutely. That's not how you would imagine it to be, you know? But it sounds like you had kind of, through your pregnancy, it sounds like God had kind of like taken you through this range of emotions to a point where you had gotten to a place of like acceptance Mm -hmm. and then you had this peace when you were holding him. Yeah,
1: no, that's exactly it. I mean, I definitely hadn't experienced all the emotions by any means, Um, you know, and Danny's experiencing different emotions than me because he's, he was already kind of looking ahead to the future and kind of trying to start the grieving process right? Before yeah. we had actually lost Jonathan, whereas I was like, I'll grieve later. Like, if that's what's going to happen, I'll grieve after it happens. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was like being able to let go. It was yeah. just being able to let go of the hope and the expectation and all the things connected. And I definitely, I mean, the the weeks and months after his passing were definitely harder than the journey of having him on this earth with us. Mm. I would say, because that's when, for me, it all kind of hit. I mean, even as saying goodbye to him in the hospital room, um, we got to the point that they had to take him and clean him up at one point because his own fallacy was leaking. Mm. So they, you know, took him and cleaned him up. And then we, um, they came in and they were like, okay, listen, you are welcome to stay here as long as you like. But we recognize that you were in labor and delivery. And with what you just went through, that's going to be a hard place because you're going to hear moms, you're going to hear babies. Mm.
2: It's
1: not going to be the best place per se, but it's up to you. You do what you want. We totally support whatever you do. So we decided to go home. But in going home, that that was kind of the beginning okay. of this is horrible. Because that, you because, the
0: hospital without your son.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we just spent like five hours with him. He's beautiful. I love him. So much joy, so much peace. And then to know that you have to leave his body in a little bassinet behind. And knowing, I mean, we had him cremated, so he's with us. um, Mm -hmm. Because, gosh, just think about leaving him in LA or taking him home to Indiana and then going back to LA was like, nope, none of that. It's not going to work. So um, we had him cremated. But just to think about, we are putting his body into a bassinet and we are walking away. Yeah. I can't even. (sighs) Yeah. Even now, I mean, that one, that memory gets me. Cause that's, it's the worst. You don't, you don't walk into a hospital pregnant expecting to walk out empty arms.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even just the fact that, like you said, there's really, there's nowhere to put moms like that. At the hospital, No, you know, like our society, like, isn't set up for this. You know what I mean? This isn't <laughs> exactly. how it's supposed to be. You know exactly. What I mean? Like, exactly. It, it's like, that is such a moment of like, and obviously this is now how, not how it's meant to be because there's, there's nowhere to put you here in this hospital. Right. That's right. going to be an okay place for you, yep. you know? And so you're like, so we left and I, I just can't, I'm so sorry. Yeah.
1: Thank you. There's there's no real words to describe that except that it was it was horrible. You know, the, the first time we we heard about what was going on with him, we went to the parking lot and we sobbed in the car.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
1: day, we did the same thing. We walked out of the parking lot, got into the car. You know, held it together until we were in the car, and then we just fell apart.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because then it was like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. This isn't right. Our son's in there. We're mm-hmm. we're leaving him in a place where he's not supposed to be. Yeah. So that was a rough, rough ride home. But, um, you know, what, it was yeah.
0: What were the days and weeks like after that?
1: <sighs> Such a whirlwind. I mean, mm-hmm. that was that was Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we I mean, we were so well loved by our community group. Mm. uh, we, that was Monday morning and we moved on Saturday.
2: Oh, So
1: literally five days later we're moving. So, you know, we had been like packing up and everything, but I mean, my work colleagues came out and helped our community group came out and helped. That was probably the fastest, most efficient move we'd ever had. It was Mm. amazing. Um, but like that Monday night, you know, we're sitting at home and our dear friend, Amanda, who had not been able to come to the hospital because I think she was working that morning, came Mm -hmm. over and just sat with Mm -hmm. us and just sat literally, you know, we were sharing an apartment. So I didn't want to sit in the living room where people would potentially come through. And Mm -hmm. so Danny and I are just sitting in the bedroom at our, you know, at our desks and Amanda came over and just sat and kind of rubbed my feet for probably Mm -hmm. about an hour or two. And we kind of chat here and there, a few words, you know, whatever, how are you doing? You okay? Do you need anything? No. Okay. And she just sit and just, you know, physical touch with like rubbing my feet and just being there.
2: And that's it was, beautiful. I mean, it was
1: beautiful and perfect. Yeah. Um, Cause words are just not, words aren't helpful at that point. Right. No, I mean, there's, there's nothing. nothing you can say that's going to make it any better. Mm-hmm. Um. So that was probably the best. And then, I mean, people, they did a meal train. People were bringing us food. Everybody was incredibly supportive. We were the ones who, once we moved, we decided to take a step out because, I mean, it's it's fall, which is change of seasons. So you've got small group changes happening at church. And we're going, yeah, we really don't want to go to small group and have there be a bunch of new people and be like, who are you? What do you do? What's happening in your life? Mm-hmm. Can't talk about it right now. So we just really took a step back. Um, we ended up going to the church for a couple of counseling sessions just to Mm -hmm. kind of make sure that we were processing through our grief okay. Yeah. Um, that's where I know I shared with you, but we we were blogging kind of the whole time. Mm -hmm. Danny and I both. We we wrote Jonathan some letters. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the blog was probably the safest space for me to just be really vulnerable about how much it sucked to have like so much joy and so much hope. And, you know, when you're pregnant, you don't just have like excitement about being a parent, but there's like all this hope and joy and expectation and, you know, the future, right? Minded because you're growing a child who's going to grow up into the world. Yeah. So it's not just this like loss of the life. Mm-hmm it just is so much bigger because there's so much intertwined in that life. Mm -hmm. So, but I also remember being like, grief is the weirdest thing. It is the strangest journey because it's not linear Mm
2: -hmm. by
1: any means, right? And like learning that Mm -hmm. is so odd because there's some days where you're like, I feel totally normal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like life is life and like nothing has happened. Mm. And then the next day is like, you're, you know, you're have the moments of just crying all throughout yeah. the day. Mm-hmm. And then you have another moment where you're spending time with a friend. And I mean, my, our friends were amazing. Fantastic. My girlfriends were constantly reaching out and being like, I don't know what to say, but are you okay? Yeah. How are you? And I was like, I mean, I I'm here, you know, I, I don't really know more than that. Like I'm fine. I'm existing. I'm surviving. I'm
0: right.
1: I'm here. <laughs> I mean, there's just not a
0: lot of words. Um, Right. What are things... Okay, so you mentioned your friend just came and just sat and like rubbed your feet. I think that's so beautiful because I think um, there's probably a lot of people listening to this that are thinking of a time where like a friend or a family member was like going through something like some kind of trauma or grief and they just like didn't know what to do and they felt so helpless. And I think that that one is like amazing that your friend... She didn't know what to do either, but right. she just came and just sat there and was just Absolutely. like, I just want you to know that I'm here. And then yeah. I remember reading in your blog, another friend of yours, like you had gotten the bill from the hospital or the hospital called like that no, day. No, it was
1: the bill of the hospital. And it was like, you need to pay the bill like as soon as possible. And I was like, no. Yeah. This is, I mean, how am I paying hospital bills when I just lost my son? So yeah, another friend, she had come over. I think she was either dropping off food or was just Mm -hmm. coming over to check in on us. Mm -hmm. And I was telling her about what was happening. She goes, do you want me to call them for you? And I was like, will you? She was like, absolutely. She goes, I do this. It was like part of her job, like negotiating was part of her job or something. And she's like, absolutely. So she called the hospital and acted like she was me. I think
0: that's amazing, honestly, though, like talk about like a practical way to jump in. Like, hey, these people are grieving right now. And like the idea of calling like insurance and hospital billing departments Uh, and fighting with people right now is like absolutely not something they have the capacity for. So like you could do it, like do it for them call and fight Absolutely. with the people for them. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think that's just amazing. just ask like them, have all the information, right? Right. Just be them. Be, ask all the questions that you would normally ask for yourself, but step in. I think yeah. honestly, that's the biggest thing. If you have people in your life who are grieving or even just going through a hard time, just step in. Yeah. It's not a matter of what do you need? It's a matter of, I'm going to come over and clean your house. What time works best for you? Like, yes. can I be there at two? Right. Because at that point, when you're going through grief, there is, not the mental capacity to think about decisions. Yes. Like your decisions at that point are like, what am I eating today? Yeah. What am I? What clothes am I wearing? How am I moving through today? Mm-hmm. Right. Like beyond that, shoot, I don't know. <laughs> do, do do whatever you want to do because if I don't have to think about it, that's what matters right now. Because there's no. Like, especially in that first week, just not enough brain capacity to be like, I can't make decisions right now. Right. You know, so just to have people coming and making decisions for you. Make the decision. Yeah. So it's like, just here
0: is food. I am coming and cleaning. I will call the doctor for you. Like, I will just do the things that are hard. Yeah, exactly. don't have to do them.
1: Yeah. I will be the adult for you right now. Yes. That is the big piece, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And if you don't
1: have words, don't say anything yeah
0: oh that's a really good one yeah i do feel like that we and i i'm so guilty of this because i have so many words like all the time
1: and it's just
0: like you feel the need to like fill the space and say something profound and like oh i have to fix it and like here's a bible verse here's a prayer and sometimes it's like hi like this thing that just happened we're not designed to be able to handle this or process this like it's not it doesn't make sense. So instead of trying to make sense of it, just don't say anything. You know what I mean? Because yep, the words right away, the words, they're probably not going to hear you anyway.
1: You know, They oftentimes just don't land well. People yeah. say things with the best of intentions. And I mean, here's like just so many things about Jonathan's life and like the seasons leading up to Jonathan's life. I'm just kind of amazed by, because, you know, like I I was so supported at work But here again, people at work like understood because hello, I'm living and breathing in a disability ministry. So it was like people understood grief. So that was amazing. Um, But a a friend of mine from high school had lost a little girl to um, hydrocephalus. Okay. Uh, Gosh, like four years before, like right when we moved to LA and blogged through the whole journey Mm
2: -hmm. and all
1: of this. And, you know, reading through like her grief journey was so beneficial and just kind of like in a sense, I think prepared my heart for going mm-hmm. through what we went through with Jonathan. And it was like understanding kind of more of what I needed to an extent because I could kind of live through her and what she was going through. I could kind of like take that in and be like, oh yeah, like I can do this and that will be okay. And I can do this and that will be okay. Um and I remember her talking about like just people wanting to be so kind and church people especially we have this thing where we think that there's certain things that sound so comforting. They're not comforting one bit. You tell me that God had better plans for my child than being here on earth with me. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's, mm -mm. I'm going to go ahead and punch you right in the throat. Right. Like doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. No. Or you tell me that he needed another angel with him in heaven. Yep. Nope. Going to kick you where it hurts on that one.
0: I really hate that. I really
1: (laughs) do hate that. Yeah. You know, or, I mean, there's just so many of those things that are like, if that one crosses through your brain, please, if your mouth shut, I mean, put tape on it, do whatever you need to do to not say those words. So truly like the best words, are like, I'm sorry. How can I help? Yeah. And leave it at that. And then sit with the uncomfortable silence, be okay with the uncomfortable silence. So many people, and I'll tell you this. So, I mean, I'm a woman, right? And Mm -hmm. women, we are kind of amazing in that we like to talk. (laughs) Praise God for that. Um, Because I think women are so much better than a lot of men Mm -hmm. at being able to either express our feelings or like hold space for feelings. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so many men are so uncomfortable with feelings. And I mean, my poor husband had just a number of really good friends who like didn't even really address the whole, we just lost our son because they were like, I know you just lost your son and I know that's so hard. But I'm sure that that's what you're thinking about. So I'm going to hear, I'm going to be here and try and cheer you up. So like, what else is going on in life? Like, let's talk about something else. Let's get your mind off of it. And it's like, you have to, like men have to provide that space for other men just as much as women need it. You know, we are not abnormal just because we need space to be able to process. Totally. So just the whole journey for me has changed the way that I interact with God because it was really hard to read the Bible for a long time. I'm sure because um, it was like, how do I read it and reconcile? How do I read it and believe? How do I, you know, in the midst of like not being angry with God, it still just changes the relationship. Yeah. So it's it's changed things, but I think that's as I've gotten older and years have passed, it's also been like, okay, but this is kind of normal, like you know, we all continue our faith journey and it looks different than when I was in high school. It looks different than when I was in my twenties. Um, I was just thinking over the weekend about like the seasons of life and recognizing that like who I knew got to be in high school and who I knew got to be in my twenties is who is different than who I know him to be today. And not like drastically different, but it's like, you, there's a different focus kind of a deal in in our relationship with Him
2: and the way that
1: the relationship works, you know? So, yeah, It has been really, really interesting to just kind of watch that that journey play out and to watch our journey come home and to like watch our interactions with other people and just, yeah, it, yeah, like affects everything.
0: I mean, I, I think that trials and hardship are what actually make our faith, right? You know, because right. if you didn't go through anything, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, then sure, yeah, like I'll <laughs> believe whatever the heck you tell me to believe. Life That's fine. That's lovely. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And I just feel like there's, so many people that, you know, once they hit that, that truly hard time, I feel like almost everybody probably has one or two like major defining things that they went through in their life. You know what I mean? And for some it's huge and devastating, like what you and Danny went through. And for other people, maybe it's more subtle, but it was devastating in their life, even though it, you know, maybe wasn't so blatant to the world, Right. but that's the stuff that Makes your faith what it is, right? Because yeah. if your faith crumbles in that time, or, you know, and you come out the other side, like, never mind, this isn't what I believe, yeah. then yeah. that's, you know, where that's you ended probably up. Probably
1: what was in there all along in the first place. You totally. know, it, it wasn't, it didn't have enough ground to stand on.
0: Totally. But if you yes. can go through something as devastating as, like, for you, losing mm-hmm. your son, or, you know, like with Chelsea, our friend, losing her husband while she was pregnant. For me, yeah. losing my brother when he was 28, you know? Like yeah. when you go through this stuff and you really like war with God a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like, and really dare yourself to ask the hard questions and to like go to those really ugly places, oh, yeah, you know? And if you come out on the other side and you still have your faith, of course it looks different than it did before. How how could you not? You know, how could it not be this thing that's been roughed up a little bit? You know what I mean? Exactly. But it's better. It's
1: deeper. It's truer. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's where it's like, the one thing that I I definitely learned was just that I could not turn my back on God. Like, I literally couldn't. Like, I tried, right? Like, part of me wanted to just like throw him to the wayside and be done and be like never again like I yeah. just I can't trust you and it was like no <laughs> like, yeah that doesn't it doesn't make sense in my life to not have him in my life and so even though it looks different and you know like my, my disciplines and all of those things and my rhythms everything looks totally different but it's still the fact that like faith is part of who I am yeah God is part of who I am Mm -hmm. My relationship with him, no matter what it looks like, is still a part of who I am. It always will be. Yeah. There will always be this thing. Faith will just always be a part of me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like, because, you know, being a mom looks different for everyone. Do you struggle with the fact that, like, you are a mom, yeah, but you don't walk around on the earth with your child the way other moms do? And so do you feel this, like, weird, like you're in this weird in-between world, you know, like, oh, yeah. what is that like for you?
1: It's really strange. And I think I wrestle with it just as much as like my friends and family wrestle with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the biggest, the biggest moments where it feels weird, it was incredibly hard. Those first few months, probably the first six, oh, gosh, cause I'm trying to think we, we were still in LA. We decided we were going to stay for a year and then we were going to move home and then we were going to try again. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the plan. And mm-hmm. those first like six months, we'd go out shopping and it was so hard to be in the grocery store or in the mall and hear babies crying. Mm-hmm. That that was rough. Um, because then it's like, that's supposed to be me. Yeah. So that part sucks. But now, you know, this far out, and just as the years have gone by, a lot of people will still remember Jonathan's birthday and will send me a text and will say happy birthday or will let me know they're thinking of me. Um, Mother's Day always feels awkward because it's like, yeah, I'm a mom, but this is weird. And so I just say thank you because mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say because it does feel really strange to be like, I recognize that I'm a mom, but I, mm-hmm. don't, I don't necessarily own that identity. And I think that's probably the place of, you know, is it real to me or is it just kind of like a hat that I wear?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: it's this thing where that's probably actually the best way to say it. it's a hat that I wear. It's a hat that I own. It's a hat that's part of my journey and will never, ever go away. will never not be part of my journey, but it's not a hat that I pull out mm-hmm. and like receive and walk in. Yeah. So it's just that piece of my identity that like motherhood specifically. I just have to, I think for me, it just, it doesn't look the same and I just have to accept it for what it is. Whenever I think about him, I always think about him as whole and complete and healthy. Mm -hmm. I never think about him as like, oh, if you would have had those surgeries, we would have had to be doing these things. Like, I think those thoughts were probably there a little more at the beginning, um, but as time has gone on, like he's just this beautiful, perfect boy, Mm
2: -hmm. you know?
1: And I think about him, being up in heaven, living life with, with Josh, honestly, Mm. I think about, you know, like when, when he passed, it was like, okay, at least he's like in good hands because he's with Jesus and he's got Josh. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) I I just like, now I'm teary and I'm emotional and now I don't know how to wrap it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I will, so here's the really interesting part in the midst of, you know, me, and this is this is why I want that caveat in there of grief is grief and it looks different for every person. I have a, a guy that I went to high school with who him and his wife lost his child, their first child to trisomy 18. And we ran into them at a fundraiser a couple of years ago and they were like still in the middle of it. And I was like, okay, okay. I got you. Like I'll hold that space for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that's not my journey with Jonathan, but then kind of like one of the things that I've been growing into in the last eight years is processing a little better, being able to be sad better. So like when I found out that my friend now has this daughter who is fighting for her life, mm. had also been given like a 10 or 15% chance of survival until they found a specialist. Um, when I read her first post, gosh, it was like three months ago now. wasn't really, no, it wasn't that long ago. Either way, a couple of months back, I fell apart Mm. and I was so proud of the fact that I fell apart and was able to cry in the moment because with Jonathan, I wasn't, you know, and with Jonathan, it was like, I thought that I was so healthy, right? I thought that I was responding to losing him so well. And people were like, you're so strong. And I'm like, I mean, this is the only way I know how to process this. Like, This is the only way I know how to grieve, right? So just to acknowledge that just because you're grieving in one way, it doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy, you know? And if you don't have the tears, that's not necessarily good. Mm -hmm. It might be bad. You know, for me, it's been like being able to come to a place where I can cry a little easier when I think about my son or where Mm -hmm. I can just express all the emotions wrapped up in his life a little differently than when I found out that initial diagnosis and was like stoic, like, we're just going to fight. We're just going to, I'm just going to soldier on. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. A complete difference. So, just acknowledging, right, mm-hmm. that everybody's different and we just have to accept where people are.
0: Totally. I mean, and I think that you are now very uniquely equipped to walk with people through that, you know, um, and to it be. It has been amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like sensitive like to people's grief and just. Yeah.
1: Well, and, you know, people find out that their friends are going through stuff and they'll contact me and they'll mm-hmm. be like, hey, I thought of you because I have a friend who's doing this. Yes. Right. Um, I walked like met a girl, uh, close relation with Danny. So Danny's got like little sisters who are like not part of the family, but part Mm -hmm. of the family kind of a deal. And one of them had a friend who got pregnant and lost her son. Mm. He had a couple of things going on that they didn't know about. They lost him like right away after giving birth and had no idea that that was like going to be part of the journey kind of a deal. Um, they, she introduced me and like, we spent like a year together, basically just like mentoring her. And then she got pregnant and was able to have her second baby. And now he just turned a year, but you know, like, that's an incredible experience for me to be able to just like walk with somebody through, like, it's going to be okay. You know, and there is yeah. hope on the other side. Um, and then what funny an enough. Yeah. Um, funny enough, sadly enough, another one of the girls who's like a sister to him actually lost her daughter to, um, Basically, the complications with Down syndrome. Mm. And so, just again, that like didn't walk through with her quite as much as I did the other one. Yeah. But I think there's just a different need, right? Yeah. But just yeah. knowing that like you have somebody who knows. Yes. And I know people tried to give that to me and I was like, I don't, I don't want it. Like here again, like whatever we want, whatever we need in those situations, like you have to reach out for what you need mm-hmm. and just hopefully know what you need and know that I think if I would have had it or maybe had somebody that I knew that would have been easier, but like, I didn't have somebody that I like personally knew and I was right yeah, just not in that space.
0: But I mean, that's why people's stories are so important. And that's part of the heart behind this podcast. You know, it's like if people right. don't share their stories, Like someone's going to hear this that needs to hear this for whatever reason, whether they're walking through something similar or even if it's not similar, but something that you said connects to something that they're going through or they know somebody or whatever. That's why people's stories are so important because how else can we connect to one another if we don't know each other's stories, you know? And that's like connection is what gets us through. So. I just think thank I just thank you so much. I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story. I know this is going to help people and just you being so vulnerable and open. But before I let you go, I have to ask you what's your favorite snack right now?
1: My favorite snack, I have been on a hummus and pretzel crisp journey.
0: I love like the flat pretzels. Yes. I love those. <laughs> I
1: really 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 love those. There, you know, Danny loves the teeny tiny little stick pretzels. Like that's oh, I don't
0: like stick pretzels.
1: And I'm like, that's fine. You can hang out in your stick pretzels, if I'm going to do stick pretzels, I'm going to need some twists. Oh my gosh, those twists are so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But on a regular basis, I'm just like, I can't live in the in the stick world. Like, and pretzel crisps, I love them. They're so good. But funny enough, I like can't eat them by themselves. Like pretzel crisps need hummus. Totally. They exist as one. They are not separated in my world. Now I have to ask you this.
0: Have you ever had chocolate hummus?
1: No, I heard you talking about that the
0: other day and I was like, okay, I'm about to blow your mind. So my friend, my friend heard me talk about it on that one too. And she was like, what the heck is chocolate hummus? And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so good. Whatever. Okay. So technically it's put out by like, Well, I don't know. There might be multiple brands, but I buy like the Sabra one. Isn't that like like, the hummus, whatever. I mean,
1: that's the hummus brand, right?
0: Yes. So they don't put chocolate hummus as like the title of it. Like the the title of it is like, it's called like chocolate dip or something like that. But if you look at it, the first ingredient is chickpeas. So like it's hummus, but it's chocolate. Now, is there sugar in it? Sure, but not like a ton. It's not like eating Nutella. You know what I mean? Like, so it is like a, like a, protein version of like a chocolate dip. <laughs> so it is like, let me tell you pretzels and chocolate hummus at night as a snack is just a true delight. Like wait, 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 Truly, Are we,
1: are we talking like it trumps vanilla ice cream with Nestle quick powder and chocolate chips
0: okay, and peanut well, butter? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. It depends. It depends on your mood. Depends on your mood. Depends on what you're going for. I mean, because
1: with pretzels, you've got salty and sweet. Yes.
0: So I mean, it's you got to try it. You have to try it and let me know because I am a huge fan of the chocolate hummus, the chocolate dip, whatever the heck it's called. I'll link it in the show notes. I I link stuff in the show notes, and I wonder if people ever even look. But whatever, I'll do it. I'll do it until I die because if you don't know
1: you have to go listen to the the midpoint episode that Caitlin just did Ugh. because they said link it in the show notes about a dozen times.
0: 37,000 times. And yeah. afterwards I was like, I suck. <laughs> I actually hate myself because now I have to go. It's like, I say it as if like my assistant is going to link it. I'm like, Oh, it's fine. We'll link it in the You're show gonna notes. Get that person. And then afterwards I'm like, Crap, it's me. I have to link it in the show notes. I'm the one to do this the blog right yeah, now. Like, I, don't I do want to do
1: this. Oh my gosh. Okay. I do have to tell you though. So if you are a chocolate fiend, two things, right? One, when I was pregnant, chocolate like fell off my, like fell off the place of the planet for me. And no. I was like, what? Is this, what? I was, it was so strange. So it's like finally kind of re-emerging after like eight years. It has been a long time. Wow. coming. I know. So strange. So strange. I loved spicy when i was pregnant loved oh, give me all the flavors interesting Woo! okay but if you need the best chocolate the best chocolate is lint l-i-n-d-t yeah like the truffle-y ones the truffle the round ones yes where it's got the truffle like it's like yes. on the outside and soft in the middle so yeah. good and then if you like dark chocolate you've got to go do. all in and you got to get the 60 percent dark that's so, oh, okay, 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 so okay, okay. Oh, good. All right, all right. Oh, that is my jam to the point that I was like eating one a day and my face was like, so about that? And I was like, <laughs> no, fine, I'll say no. It'll be oh my gosh, that's but amazing. But it is, and I stick them in the refrigerator. And so Ooh, then you've got even a little bit more yes. of the, like harder shelf. Yeah, Ooh, I totally love worth it.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, honestly, this has been... Beyond, I love it. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Oh, thank you. We appreciate you so much. Seriously, I,
1: I love being able to share Jonathan's story because every time I talk about him, it just validates his life.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and like he's so he's so much a part of mine. Yeah, and it's it's funny because he's always he may not be at the forefront, and mm-hmm. this is the crazy part about grief too, right? Is like the person that you lost may not be like on the tip of your tongue in every single conversation, right? but they are right there yes. ready to be a part of any conversation. Correct. So I mean, yeah. they're always with us evermore. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love honestly being able to talk about Jonathan's life and his story and who he was and how beautiful he is. Hmm. I'm so I glad. Well, thank baby. you so
0: much. We love hearing about him. Really? Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. If anybody has any questions, Get with me I will try
0: to find me in the show notes. I'll link all her <laughs> contact info people.
1: Uh, I will walk with you. I will cheerlead. I will help to empower, do whatever we need to do. I love live it. the best life. Thank you so much. you' this has been fantastic. Thank you. Have a great night.
0: You too. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.